Hello again and welcome to The Vinyl Crawl. I'm your host, Alan Miller. What you were listening to there at the top was The Ventures, uh, the song Out of Limits from their album Ventures in Space from 1964. That was actually a original mono uh, pressing that I've got in my personal collection, but if you enjoy surf rock or space rock, or it's kind of got even some horror stuff coming up now for Halloween, you can check this out over at bullmoose.com. They've got it in their store. Uh, it's running $24.97, good price on it. It got reissued by Sundazed, which is an extremely good label that puts out a lot of uh, early American music. Um, got reissued in 2012, so they've still got some there on their shop. So if you dig that sort of thing, go check it out. It's a great album. Uh, Bull Moose also sponsors this podcast, so we want to thank them as always for doing that. Uh, this episode is myself and Matt Pfefferkorn, and we're going to be talking about the Nirvana album Unplugged, since it is live albums this month. And the beer we're drinking is called Bury the Hatchet. Enjoy. Welcome to the Vinyl Crawl, the podcast. We is bi-weekly now. It was weekly. It's the bi-weekly podcast about vinyl records and beer. I'm Alan. I'm joined by Matt. Cheers. Cheers. We are drinking the Buried Hatchet Stout from Southern Star Brewing Company. Out of... Let's see. Where are they out of? They're out of... Texas. Texas? Con... Conroe, Texas? Yeah. Conroe? Huh. Interesting. Brewed and canned by Southern Star Brewing Company. So where'd you get this from? Uh, this is from your personal collection. Yeah. A friend of mine brought it back to me that I trade beer with. Yeah. He just brought me a six-pack of stuff. And that's where I got it. It's interesting. Never had it before. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. I yeah. like it. It's kind of like... Um, it's almost like a brown ale. This is a pub dog. It's okay. Yeah. You go take care of the pub dog. I'll I'll talk about how how this one feels for me. This is more like it tastes more like a brown ale. Do you, do you agree with me with that? I think it's more like a brown ale. Let me get a second sip of it. Okay, I I like it. Um, I don't get much like coffee or anything like that from it. Let me see. It's a stout for stout lovers, is what it says on the can. Brown malt. Reminiscent of a traditional pre-industrial revolution malt profile. Now, how do they know what a pre-industrial revolution malt <laughs> profile would taste like? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But um, I'm, I, not, I'm not getting the stout for stout lovers. I'm not either. I get more like a brown ale than a stout. Because it's got that traditional kind of nutty flavor that a brown ale has. It does. Yeah. I mean, I get there's a little bit of the chocolate. Yeah, it's it does say uh, full of robust roasted flavors, which intermingle with a bittersweet creaminess that concludes to a perfect warming finish. That sounds dirty as shit, <laughs> but that's what the can says. Yeah. So uh, maybe, yeah, maybe. maybe I don't. It's not super creamy. I don't get no. much like vanilla or cream yeah. or anything like that off of it. Um, it just it tastes like a little bit more full-bodied brown ale. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. It, it's perfectly good. It tastes perfectly fine. Yeah. I think we've been ruined on some of the excellent stouts we've we've had. Well, true. Like That's well, true. a couple podcasts ago, we had that really excellent raspberry. Was it a raspberry stout? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm trying to think the of the founders. Name of it. it was yeah. the founders. Uh, 
That's almost ruined oh, me. Man. It was so good. That was crazy. It was like an aged, an aged stout or something. Like yeah. you'd aged it for a while, like a twenty twelve or something. I'm trying to think of what that was, but it was it luscious. Was, yes. Yeah, that was, it was it. Fabulous. It was really good. Yeah. And we are pairing this beer today. This is Barry the Hatchet. <laughs> For some reason, <laughs> with the uh, Nirvana Unplugged in New York, yeah, which you have, you can get it on vinyl now. For a long time, you couldn't get it on vinyl, right? But now they've repressed it enough that you can find yeah. it just about everywhere. You though have a original copy from yes. 1995. Is that when it came Three. out? Three came out in '93. No, there's no way they they record the show in '94. When did the album actually drop though? Uh, says '94. Okay, so um, late 94 late is probably 94. when it dropped. Yeah. Yeah, so, and you've actually still got the hype sticker and shrink and everything on yours. Yeah, it's funny. It's in shrink, but if you notice, it's upside down. Yeah, like, the hype sticker is upside down. So, it has the original price tag of nine ninety five, and I was too cheap to buy it new, so I bought it used for three ninety nine. Yeah, good call. Who knew? Yeah. What, who knew if Nirvana was going to make it or not? Right? Yeah, you know, to, you can't be wasting that ten dollars on a band if you don't know if they're going to be anything or not. Right? Yeah, I was probably setting my sights for the new, I don't know, Dylan album at the time, maybe. Ninety ninety four. What were you 94. into in ninety four? Probably the Dead. The Dead. Pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. Yeah. Because Jerry was still around, so. Yeah. Yeah. When did their last album come out? Last album was eighty nine. Oh, I thought they had one in the 90s, did they, they not? They were working on one. Just never happened. Yeah. Gotcha. So, but I bought this album because that <laughs> was really the first Nirvana thing I liked. You oh, know? Okay, I see where you're getting 93 yeah. from from Tag. It's 98, though. Yeah. It says 3298. Yeah. yeah. So, and this came from Pack Rats, which was a store from way back when. Yeah. Did you work at Pack Rats when it was Pack Rats? I did. You did, yeah. yeah. From ages ago. This ages. It's been a long time since Pack Rats has been around. But so when's the last time you listened to this album? Let's. I, I want to ask you that before we get to talking about it too much. You know, I probably pulled it out about a year ago or so and yeah. listened to it. Might not have listened to the whole thing. I, typically, something like this a song triggers in my head yeah. and I'm like, Ooh, and I'll play that. I think it was that their version of where did you sleep last night? Oh, okay. Cause that's just, that's killer. It is possibly the best version, like the best cover of that song. Yeah. That's yep. been like a lot of songs on that album are just incredible covers. I mean, right. Half of the album is cover songs. You've got True. the meat puppets yeah. tracks. You've got the Bowie track. You've got where did yeah. you sleep last night? You got Jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam. Like, it's half covers. That's true. You don't really think of it because they made those songs their own. Yeah, they really did. And, you know, and it's funny because, I mean, for Nirvana to open themselves up to do something as commercial as the Unplugged series. Yeah. That well, was kind of big. It, they did it tongue in cheek, too. If you've, if you've ever watched the live broadcast, Kurt's being kind of a shit the whole, the whole yeah. time. Like yeah. he's being, and he's funny. He is really funny through the whole thing, but he's being snarky. He's got the yeah. comment of like, "What are you tuning a harp?" Like he's got that, got that comment. He's got all these little little yeah. digs in there at everybody on the show, or like he, you know, he talks about how he's gonna screw up a song before he plays it. Cause I, it was that 
you know, that kind of um, disheveled grunger kind of atmosphere right. was what they were doing at the time. I I think he brought back the cardigan sweater and T-shirt. <laughs> Single-handedly look. brought it back. Yeah. Made it unironic. That wiped away the flannel and the cardigan. Argus made it, made it ironic. Not unironic. He made it. <laughs> ir- Vampire Weekend made it unironic. Nirvana made it ironic. But this album, probably for me, um, it I can't even put... In, I can't measure how important of an album it is to me yeah. and to my development as a kid because... This is what, 94? So I think I was around 11 or 12 probably when it came out. And this was my first taste of real like current grunge rock, really, Hmm. I think. Because I remember I bought it on cassette when it came out. Uh, Mom drove an old car that didn't have a cassette player. So I had a portable battery powered cassette player. So it was one of those where mom drove me to Walmart. I bought the cassette got in the car, put in the portable cassette player, and then played yeah. that in the car. Like, cause I just had to hear it as soon as it right. came out. Oh yeah. And then I watched the, the Nirvana unplugged countless times, just over and over and over again. I think for Christmas that year, even to even make it more important for Christmas, I bought or I got for Christmas, the Nirvana unplugged songbook for guitar. Wow. And then, and I remember that because all of Nirvana were one of the worst about tuning their guitars half a step down. They never tuned any guitars to standard tuning. Every recording they have is half a step down. Yeah. So through that, I learned how to like detune. Like I, my dad taught me, of course, but like what that meant to tune your guitar half a step yeah. down. So, and it, they did that because it had a lower sound and it didn't sound as happy as like, you know, standard tuning or, or so, or maybe it was just for his vocal range. I don't know. But either way, who knows? All the songs in that songbook are like a half step down. And then even when you get into like uh, Plateau and uh, some of the others, they're in like open tunings or like drop D. There's all kinds of weird tunings on there. Yeah. So really important album um, yeah. for me, just for from a guitar standpoint, uh, because it taught me kind of how to play guitar. About a Girl is the first, one of the first, one of the first guitar solos, the first guitar song I ever learned, and Greg Martin would appreciate this, was walk softly <laughs> that was the first like song because it was really easy to play the the rhythm part right but the first solo i ever learned how to play was a solo on about a girl because it's like nirvana songs tiptoed really well around being easy enough for beginner guitarists but then if you really wanted to play it well you had to be a little bit more intermediate yeah because they had some neat solos and stuff in them but i mean that this album got me into guitar more than any album. Wow. That's big. It is. It's a yeah. huge album. I don't listen to it much anymore. Yeah. And and honestly, I was not a huge Nirvana fan, you know, and my boss at the time, Jess Sweeney, uh, and another friend of mine that worked there, Wendy Shelburne, they were both Nirvana freaks. And like, I mean, at the at Bleach, you yeah. know, from the get go. And I can remember working at the record store in the mall, and we got the spread for uh, uh, Nevermind. Yeah. And our spread was two, two CDs. Wow. Well, nobody knew who they were at the time. Yeah. It didn't hit until it took it a little six bit. months later, or whatever. Yeah. And so they bought the two 
CDs or whatever. And I, and then In Utero came out after yeah, that. Yeah, it did. I liked a little bit of that, but, you know, it just didn't. Didn't really That whole grunge you. thing. I was more of a Soundgarden you, fan. Right. Well, know. and the other, you know, the bands you probably liked better were more steeped in the late 80s, early 90s hard rock than grunge even. Like yeah. Soundgarden, um, Alice in Chains even were more to the metal side. Yeah, of like hard rock true. than Nirvana was. Nirvana right. was more to like the punk slash pop even to an, yeah. to an extent. Yeah, and I liked punk a lot, but there, I don't know. There's something that just didn't appeal to me about yeah. their sound or Kurt Cobain. It it was also really popular, and that kind of hurt them a little bit because everybody, like every jock, every every single like personality of person that you did not like they all love nirvana like everybody loved nirvana so you couldn't be an outsider and with they didn't nirvana. know what smells like teen spirit was even about yeah like so. they, they didn't know anything other than like they thought it was cool and they they saw that the local mall was selling flannel to everybody now right. and yeah. the baggy jeans like it just became a thing that got so tiresome. Yeah. You know, when, when you could open the uh, the Sears Wish Book <laughs> for our older <laughs> listeners and see, like, the grunge section of right. clothing. Oh, yeah. You know, they yeah. had, like, the grunge kids that are wearing, like, pristine flannels and stuff, but wearing them all sagged out. Yeah. Like, that was just not cool. Nobody liked that. No. It wasn't cool at all. I still... I remember like shopping at the local thrift store and doing it like yeah doing it the real like wearing these like old man like corduroy pants and like untucked like collared shirts like we were doing it the way we thought because we didn't have much money and we had right. money to buy that out. Well, of that's the best place to find. I mean, yeah. for me back in the day, it was all about either the the sport coat yeah. that was plaid or just like maroon crazy colors yeah. or the overcoat or know. like an army jacket like yeah. better better right. made the army jacket cool True. when pearl jam yeah. first came out the cargos and the yeah the boots the cargo shorts the boots and the army jacket we had a shop in glasgow when i was growing up called turbos you remember that shop uh-uh. yeah they they used to have like concerts and stuff outside but they sold doc martens they sold oh, all that nice. stuff yeah it was like it was a um, like a skate shop slash grunge slash wow, metal. That's pretty hip for Glasgow. It was. It was really hip. It didn't last long. Yeah. Shocker. <laughs> but all the local bands and stuff used to yeah. play there in the parking lot because it was an all ages kind of thing. But the the thing with, I mean, there, this album is and all of Nirvana was huge for me growing up. It's not huge for me now. Yeah. But without it, yeah. I couldn't be what I am now musically. Because I learned so much from Nirvana. I learned about Fugazi. I learned about Pixies. I learned That's about all true. those bands from Nirvana. They were a pretty good like root system to the find. The best, man. Melvins. The better, the better bands. Not saying Nirvana's not a great band. Right. But, you know. Well, none of those none of those guys, Chris, Kurt, and, and uh, Dave, none of those guys were like, they weren't ashamed of any of their influences. They wore them on their sleeve right. and they told yes. everybody who they yeah. were. Like everybody. They yeah. didn't care at all to tell anyone who their influences were. No. They still had that um, that 80s DIY ethos about them a little bit. Yeah. Kind of like what Minor, Th- Minor Threat, Black Flag, Fugazi, Fugazi those guys. yeah. They kind of had that ethos about them. They just happened to do an album that got really big. Because Bleach, like if you look at the early stuff, Bleach and Incesticide... Things like that are, they're you know they're they're not commercial. They're really no. noisy. Yeah, they're really low produced. Like production right. value is really low on it. 
But then when you get to to Nevermind, it's just huge. Like it's yeah, it's massive. Yeah, and and then in Utero after that, I mean it's what's his name Albini? Albini. Yeah, yeah, it's all Albini. Yeah, something I thought of today when we were talking about this album, you just think about all the what ifs. You know, if Courtney, Kurt, <laughs> if they didn't get together, yeah, and then you know. And like well, to it, to add was, the to add the beer the beer name because I was a little worried about buried, buried, hatchet. buried hatchet. We didn't plan it. No, guys. not really. We didn't plan it. It just happened. And like, I mean, but what can if, we finally bury the hatchet on the Courtney uh, Love maybe. conspiracy thing? I don't thing? know. We, the movie came out last year. Um, it's more important to focus on what Kurt brought to music with Nirvana in a short than to period focus of time. On all the stuff after it. But if he didn't pass away. And Nirvana was still a band, then uh, I don't know what direction they would have went. Well, and Grohl, there wouldn't have been Foo Fighters, there yeah. wouldn't have been that spinoff off of Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy to it, think. It's hard to say if it's like better for music that Nirvana kind of stopped. I'm gonna say that Kurt died, but the Nirvana stopped. Yeah just for Dave to have his outlet to go do his thing. Right. Because is he the most talented person in Nirvana? Uh, that's hard to say too. You know, I mean, Kurt, one thing that's really neat about Kurt and that you find as you get older and then go back and listen to stuff is he had a really great ear for melody. He had, he had a fantastic ear for pop and for melodies. You know, he, he, you know, he liked to, to play it off. Like he was this punk guy, but, in secret, he loved the he Beatles. Loved pop. He loved good songwriting. Yeah. And I think he was always trying to do that. I mean, especially like, and this is going back to me being in school, Polly. Fantastic ver- mm-hmm. fantastic version of, of Polly and Penny Royalty yeah. on here mm-hmm. that, that he does by himself for the most part. But I played Polly at a, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. I played Polly in seventh grade <laughs> for a talent show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they let me do it, really, yeah. because it's kind of they a rapey know. song. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I got up in front of. You could have played "Rape Me." <laughs> yeah, that was probably out then. It was out then. Yeah, and Utero was out then, but yeah, you would have mm, got it put in detention. Yeah, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that one. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I I think you know, getting back to Unplugged, it's by far my favorite Unplugged album. With Allison Chains, kind of a close second. Yeah, really that close was a second. good one. Um, but it might be my favorite Nirvana album, just to be fair. Mm-hmm. And I know that might not be fair because it's kind of like a greatest hits and it's live and all those things. Yeah. But I think those other songs make it so good too. The the man who sold the world. I know Bowie hated yeah. the fact that like everybody comes to him and go, oh, why are you playing that Nirvana song? Like people actually asked him that because they didn't know any better. Well, but they kind of made it their own. They kind of made it their own. I mean, and if, honestly, you're, if we're being honest, which version do we like better? Yeah. That and well, and that the man who sold the world and where did you sleep last night were the two reasons I started listening to the album. Right. You know. And then after that, I kind of got into In Utero a little bit. Yeah. You know, but never mind. I still can't listen to that album. No, I can't either. <laughs> I, I mean, like, well, there's, you know, Nevermind's got territorial pissings. There's a few cool, like. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. that and Drain there. You. Drain You is a great track, yeah. too. Um, I liked About a Girl a lot. 
on this. Yeah. Because it was one of the first songs I, I learned on guitar. But then I remember as a kid going back and getting Bleach and going, oh, this version's terrible. Yeah. Because the Bleach version is so noisy and heavy. Oh, man. Um, I like um, I like a lot of the like non like normal Nirvana songs. Like I liked Oh Me a lot. Mm-hmm. I like which I know is not theirs. I like Lake of Fire a whole lot. Lake of Fire is cool. That's um, good. Jesus, don't Jesus, want don't want me for a yeah. sunbeam. That's a cool song. It is. There's not a bad track on here. No, it flows pretty good. You know, I mean, for as anti corporate and establishment, yeah, Cobain was trying to be comes off as a pretty he good, practiced hard yeah. like he tried to play it like he was just like coming in off out of the cold he didn't like, want to oh, screw it up no he you know he was and if you if you watch it now you kind of pick up on that you couldn't then because yeah. he was playing the role of the disheveled right. grunge stone or whatever but he really worked hard on it and this was at the height of the popularity for unplugged yeah. too i mean dylan had either just done one or was going to do one. It yeah. was right around the same time. You know, Pearl Jam did one, but for whatever reason, they didn't put that out on. Which is stupid. Did they finally release uh, it? They might have released it in like the 10 box set or something like that. Yeah. That I mean, that was killer. I've got the video bootleg at the house, and it's yeah. fantastic. I think I've got a boot of it somewhere, but it, it is, yeah. That's I, I want to say Black that, Crows did one that oh was Oh, man, really you had a Black Crow. All of the 90s grunge bands pretty much did one of these unplugged. Stone Temple Pilots did one that was great. The Alarm did one that was great. <laughs> did they really? They did. Early on. Now, this was like when it first started. Yeah. Do you remember was... the joke about Squeeze doing their unplugged? They all brought electric guitars because they didn't oh, understand yeah. what it was about. Yeah. Was that when Jules Shear was the original host? Yeah. And it was yeah. like, it would be two bands. And then at the end, they would pick one song to do and and jam it out or something. It was really interactive. I I really kind of miss it because it was neat to see. And then like VH1 tried to carry it on with Storytellers, which was okay sometimes. Yeah, Bruce had a really good one. Yeah, naturally. Yeah, I mean, the guys that had good stories had better storytellers, of course. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being completely fair, like, no, Rod Stewart did Unplugged. Rod Stewart oh, had a did. huge unplugged God, album. That one was fucking huge. But it was good though. That yeah, it was that Maggie good. May on there and Madeline good. Wind. Like yeah. it was really good. Have I told you lately was awesome on there. And I know he like lounged it up. Yeah. But it was good though. That's probably the last good thing Rod did. Well, you know, we heard it a ton back then. Like yeah. every supermarket walked into, they were playing it. Right. I remember things as did Sting do? Yeah. That was pretty. I'm gonna solid. have to go back and look at the list of There's them because it got ten thousand maniacs. Oh, How big shit. was that? Yeah, that one was really good too. Their unplugged version of "These Are the Days." Yeah, was that's so true. Big. God, everybody. No, was and doing it wasn't. One. It wasn't. Uh, it was because the night. It was yeah. a version because the night that got so huge. Yeah, that's right. It had a resurgence. You know, yeah. Patty Smith had it. Damn, I forgot all about that. Yeah, that unplugged was huge. It was huge, man. For about man. two years, it was like. <laughs> The thing to do. I think it was more like five. I think you remember in like a window of two, but I think there was like a good five or six. All right. But like every, the the fact of the matter is any band worth their salt played Unplugged. Yeah. And they, and, and it was a big deal. Four months, five months later, released an Unplugged album. Right. And they promoted the shit out of it. It was promoted all over MTV. Like they would yeah. play promos for it for weeks and weeks leading up to it. Kiss. 
Kiss, Kiss Unplugged. <laughs> and it's terrible. I think it's Bad. horrible. It's one of my least We're going to bring out two of our great friends, Ace Freely and Peter Chris. Oh, my God. Awful. And is and you're a big Kiss fan. Was. Well, you still are. I mean, Come on. I still day. like Kiss, well, too. Well, I like the 70s stuff. Like, yeah. anytime you see that old makeup. Yeah, I mean, know, there's like stuff. a thing. I mean, it's, you know. When Steve Allen comes in, it's like, look at this poster I just paid $200 for. <laughs> God. Which is cool. Yeah. You know, it's whatever, 76 Destroyer or something. But their Unplugged was awful. It's atrocious. Yeah. Who else had really bad Unplugged? I mean, like, I think Nirvana is like pinnacle. Like, that's yeah. top of the Unplugged. But who else had bad ones that you remember? I don't remember liking Dylan's that much. Well, that's another another uh, great example of the unplug that he did in '93. Yeah, was ten times better, but it never got released. It was that live at the Supper Club oh, okay. in New York. Okay, he did two nights there <clears throat> and two shows a night, an early and a late show. Yeah, and it was fabulous, and he was doing. All kinds of cool stuff. And then, for one reason or another, that was scrapped. And then they decided to do the MTV Unplugged. And they did it over three days. And there's plenty of great material. But the material that they picked, it seemed a little forced at times. You know, like, Unplugged kept going, too, for a long time. Yeah. We just stopped watching it because it wasn't that good. Like, all the all the bands they were having on there just weren't that good. No. And the performance... Like, even... well. I remember like Jay Z unplugged. Oh yeah, and it just—you kind of like Jay Z a lot, but yeah, it just, but it, it just didn't work. Place. It just yeah. didn't work. And they kind of—you kind of run out of artists to, yeah, to do it. Like LL Cool J didn't unplug. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, and that it was, was good. It was solid. It yeah. was solid. It was like the first time he'd ever had like a full band playing this stuff. 